Welcome to the podcast. Today is April 9th, 2020. And today I want to talk about money and crypto in 2020. So what's happening to money in this brave new chapter following the cerveza sickness? Well, things are moving quite quickly, actually, and there are quite a few new themes at hand here. So first off, authorities now have yet another excuse to be banning paper currency, supposedly because it helps stop the spreading of bacteria. Now, that might be true, of course, but it's likely a secondary reason behind the prospective banning of cash here. Now, governments have been waiting to pounce on any new opportunity to digitalize all transactions for quite some time, I think. And if you think about the control at hand with having all economic transmissions take place digitally, it's just too much to pass up for any authoritarian. Now, why is that? Well, because cash is anonymous. Cash is physical, and cash basically doesn't even leave a paper trail. Now, in a digital system, you can punish your enemies, you can censor people very effectively, and so on. So, for example, you can kick out non-compliant players from the SWIFT system. You can unback wrong thinkers if they behave in a way that you think is politically incorrect. But you can't uncash someone. You can also halt ATM withdrawals during a bank run. You can set a negative interest rates to force people to spend their digital money. But that doesn't apply to cash holders because cash is cash and it's not subject you know, to the same manipulations as digital currency. So in a way, it's the last bastion of economic sovereignty that people have. It's not subject to the economic policies in the same way as digital currency would be. And that's precisely why most authorities hate cash and try so hard to ban it. And speaking of policies, the umpteen trillion dollars that are currently being printed to quote-unquote save the economy, what effect is that going to have on prices moving forwards? You know, in the news, there has been some talk of the threat of inflation recently. I think inflation is on the horizon, but I don't think we're heading straight into hyperinflation anytime soon here. Because, well, for one thing, the coming surge in defaults and bankruptcies, they are pretty much deflationary events. And so when you don't pay your mortgage and you default, well, your loan is extinguished. And when the bank reclaims your home, well, that home will be sold along with many other homes sitting in the market at the same time. And this further contributes to, well, aggregate price declines. And so as the bank's reserves decrease, the amount of money that the bank can lend out also decreases and so forth. And that means less loans can be made. And uh, there you have it. It's all deflationary. And on top of that, right now and moving forwards as well, people are scared to waste money. And they might even detect and you know appreciate, understand that prices are declining. And all of these are reasons to save your money further, to save cash specifically. And so all of these things that I just spoke about, I mean, they slow down the so-called velocity of money, which is basically just the speed at which money changes hands, and that further contributes to deflation. So as a whole, on aggregate, it's quite possible that in the short to medium term, you're going to see a decrease or at least plateauing of price levels. I mean, that might sound kind of perverse considering the trillions of dollars that are printed, but it is actually quite feasible. And if history is any guide, that's what we're going to be looking at in the short term, at least. But as the real economy continues to decline, obviously central banks are going to get more desperate. And come to think of it, it's kind of funny how you have to kind of separate between the real economy and the make-believe economy. But I guess that's the world we live in right now. 
Anyway, the central banks, they're going to try and stimulate or you know, kickstart the economy with more and more aggressive means. And we're seeing that by the day. It's at, at least every week now you have some new scheme involving trillions of dollars that need to be printed. And, and you know, all these new money printing schemes, they make about as much sense as throwing around confetti to try and combat a hangover. It doesn't help. But the reasoning is, if they can just generate inflation, it'll cause people to spend their money more quickly. And spending more money, of course, causes economic activity and it causes businesses to, well, operate. And if you think about it, actually, I think that's an incredibly Machiavellian construct. But it is one of the pillars that this Keynesian economy that we have rests upon. And that's basically the philosophy that the world runs on right now. Now, when the central banks lose their credibility, and when they've lost their credibility by printing too much money, interestingly enough, those policies that they pursued in the first place are actually going to start working, meaning you will get your inflation, only a little bit too much of it. So when we see more prospective inflation on the horizon, it is indeed going to cause people to quickly get rid of their paper currency, or digital currency for that matter, and they're probably also going to get rid of the treasuries or any paper wealth for good measure. And so make no mistake, that will kickstart people's spending all right, but that money will probably go towards, well, quickly acquiring consumer goods and the, the bare necessities, basically. And for the people who do have some kind of meaningful amounts of money left, it's probably going to go towards more traditional, stable, proven stores of wealth. And historically, that has been gold. Now, as quaint as that might seem to many people, it has emerged time and time again as the chosen store of value. And that's been the case for, you know, 5,000 years at least. It's been the case in basically every country, and it's still the supreme source of value, even in modern crises. We saw that in 2008 as well. And also, if you think about the slightly bigger picture, an ounce of gold, it bought a tailor-made suit 500 years ago, and it's going to buy a tailor-made suit today. And that is preservation of your purchasing power, if anything. Now, speaking of history, it's not like there is much debate as to whether the money printing that we're now conducting, or the so-called stimulus, as they will call it, if it will actually work, it's going to be a spectacular failure when taken to this extreme. I think the best case that we can hope for here is that of Japan, and they have been they have been pursuing these kinds of policies for, well, decades almost already, and the results have been pretty mediocre. So they basically tried every single trick in the book, you know, involving actually having the central bank buy stocks, and still their stock market is down from its highs, and it's still just kind of sputtering along. So basically they've had three lost decades thanks to their interventions, and as I say, that is a good outcome, meaning it didn't result in a Zimbabwe situation or a Venezuela situation or a Weimar Germany situation. And all of those are pretty much on the table, I think. Anyway, if we do get to the point of hyperinflation, nothing is going to restore confidence. I mean, except for potentially one thing, and that would be raising interest rates again. Of course, raising interest rates, that would cripple a lot of businesses, but it's pretty much the only way to kind of wring the inflation out of the system. And this was actually done in the 70s in the US, and it did cause a very painful recession, but it was what was needed to put the inflation genie back in the bottle. Anyway, at this point, we are well beyond the point of no return for this course of action. I mean, we're marching in the opposite direction here. We're talking about printing money for the individual. 
And we're going to go a lot further in that, in that direction before anything's going to change. And of course, speaking of higher interest rates, um, they also make for an even more crippling debt load for the governments, which means they have no choice but to default on all their government debt that they've racked up over the years. Now, there's going to be a default either in terms of like a de facto default or in more practical terms, meaning the US dollar will one day be so weak that the coupon is basically worthless to begin with. So anybody who bought US treasuries, well, even if they were to be repaid, that money's not going to be worth anything. So the debt will kind of be forgiven either way. And I think that that's actually the outright plan here. The US will ride the dollar as far as they possibly can, and that is all the way down. And what happens next after that, once the current reserve currency is no longer, well, we're going to have to see. Maybe we'll have some kind of a global currency issued by the IMF. That's what quite a few people think. Maybe we're going to revert back to, you know, national currencies, maybe even something built on a gold standard. Not unthinkable, actually, uh, especially not in a severe crisis. And also, the reason why I say it's not unthinkable is because, remember, most countries actually have held on to their gold reserves. And looking to, to countries like Russia and China... I mean, both, both of them have obviously anticipated the demise of the dollar for many, many years, and they've amassed a larger and larger gold holding. And that's not just out of tradition. They are preparing for the next chapter, and it's coming. Anyway, gold is going to increase in value against financial assets, probably as well as against other co uh, commodities, and certainly against stocks. And what a lot of investors and speculators also are finding out right now, to their surprise, is that it's already kind of hard to get hold of physical gold. I mean, yes, you can buy ETFs or exchange-traded funds, but they are just basically, you know, a piece of paper at the end of the day. It's, it's a promise that holds counterparty risk. It's not yours to keep. It's not in your hand. You can argue it's not yours. You can't even be 100% sure that it exists. And not to mention, if you buy gold in the form of an exchange-traded product, you have risk just from holding, you know, your shares with a broker. They can go bankrupt. And we know from recent history that it's not obvious that you will get anything from that. And by the way, if you want to speculate outright, then silver is actually looking historically cheap here. And I mean, yes, it has an industrial component to it and to a much lesser degree, a monetary one, but it is there historically. And if you really want to take it to an extreme with your speculation, then gold and silver stocks that's where the real potential gains lie, but that is going to be hit and miss, and uh, none of this is financial advice, I underscore three times. So how do you buy gold then? I mentioned that it's kind of hard to come by if you want it right now. Well, of course, you can try to buy the physical thing if you really want to have no counterparty risk and literally hold your purchasing power in your own hands. But what if you don't want to store it? Or what if your time horizon is shorter? Or what if you may actually want to spend it easily? Well, there is an app called Glint coming out of the UK. And they allow you to buy gold stored in Switzerland in your name. In other words, it's yours even in the event of Glint going bankrupt. And, uh, and also to top it off, you get a debit card, meaning you can actually, well, spend your gold quite conveniently. And this is really quite nifty, if you ask me. And I think it's a business that could actually do quite well. And if you want even more security and flexibility in some ways, there's gold money. Now, they've been around for many, many years. And it's run by very, very serious people who are pretty much authorities in the gold space. 
they allow you to store gold in a location of your choice, in a vault of your choice. And you can also buy not just gold and silver, but other metals from them. Now, in the event that you do have a rush to gold, rest assured that the authorities are going to get involved. Now, if gold goes up, you know, 10x, uh, which is totally possible, you know, in light of all the massive interventions that are now carried out, it's almost inevitable that uh, hard assets are going to do well against that. But anyway, tax authorities are going to get involved sooner rather than later. And I think there's going to be something like a windfall tax on the profits. I mean, governments are not going to just sit idly by and watch as people flee their national currencies and get away with storing their purchasing power. And by the way, speaking of spending, if you do spend gold, you would theoretically be subject to capital gains tax on the gold that you spend. And the same is true for crypto as well. You can't just spend your crypto to avoid paying capital gains. And that's something that not so financially savvy Bitcoiners are going to learn the hard way, I think, over the next few years. So that's gold. Speaking of those Bitcoiners, now what about those Bitcoiners? How's crypto going to do amidst all of this chaos? I think cryptos won't be challenging national currencies anytime soon. And also, they don't render gold obsolete. But the two can coexist, I think. And cryptos, they can be shut down because they are actually tremendously centralized. And I think this decentralization aspect of Bitcoin is kind of laughable. um, Because at least 60% of Bitcoin is now mined in China. And specifically in just a handful of mining pools. And and I think they are as easy to locate as they are to destroy and shut down. And another big chunk of Bitcoin is mined by listed companies. And in the event of some kind of a ban or very severe legislation of cryptos, these companies are not going to just play cypherpunks and keep on operating. They're going to be obedient little boys. They're going to stop their mining operation in a heartbeat. And also remember that cryptocurrencies, they can be regulated more at the consumer level as well. It's it's all good and well to talk about how it's technically impossible to prevent transactions and and so forth and how you're running your own bank and whatnot. But once you have a, a law, possession of cryptocurrency with intent to distribute, that's going to scare most people out of using them. It doesn't matter how dire the economic circumstances we live under, people are not going to use it. Because remember, even gold was strictly regulated once upon a time in the U.S. It was basically illegal for individuals to hold it. It was never confiscated outright, because confiscation would basically have been totally impractical and unenforceable to begin with. But the point being, the kind of consumer gold market was destroyed and did not exist for many, many years. So don't underestimate regulation. Anyway... A bit more bigger picture here. All currencies that the markets have chosen, they have had some kind of use value in and of themselves. They have not been just kind of mere abstractions. And I think over the very long term, everything returns to its intrinsic value, including cryptos. And cryptos, in a physical sense, don't even exist really. I mean, they are a transaction mechanism, yes, maybe a temporary store of value, but to call it digital gold, I mean, that's not just a misnomer, it's an oxymoron. In other words, I mean, cryptos are a speculation. It doesn't really matter what kind of mental gymnastics you apply, Bitcoin doesn't really encapsulate value, certainly not in a proven way. And I've heard the case being made that you spend electricity to secure the network, Hence, Bitcoin is backed by that effort or the value of that effort. But that doesn't really impute any value into Bitcoin itself. I mean, if I use a shovel to dig a ditch, 
that doesn't make the shovel more valuable. Now, Bitcoin will have some kind of a value because of the ledger aspect of it and because of the ease of transactions and because of you know, anonymity, maybe. But it's not really evident yet what exactly that value is. It doesn't have to be the case that Bitcoin's going to trade at a million bucks a piece. Anyway, this is why, although I will continue to hold Bitcoin, and I have done for quite a while, I am actually fairly bullish, but I'm not blind to the massive risks and the shortfalls at hand. So the point being, don't fall in love with your investment and think critically and size your position with moderation. What do you think? Are we going straight into hyperinflation here? What would you spend your money on if you knew that it's going to lose its value tomorrow? Is it going to be gold? Is Bitcoin the future? Are they both going to go to the moon? Drop me a comment. Thanks for listening.